0: Tell us basically your experiences this week. How how has Explore God gone for you? We have 350 churches in Austin that today are unified in the same message, the same sermon series, the same focus of mobilizing our people. And it is unbelievable. I mean, we're going back to where it all began. This is what we went to seminary to do. Uh, To have spiritual conversations, to trust that God will use simple conversations to transform hearts and lives. You can tell that people are inquisitive, people are looking uh, for answers, people are asking these questions. Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know why were we put here? Why are we on earth? Let me put it this way I'd like to think that God is real. What is my life supposed to look like? What am I supposed to do with my talents and my gifts? And how am I supposed to be a part of this big, huge world with seven billion people? Do I have any role to play in that? That's the question people are asking. I work with Christians. I work at a Christian radio station. But even even we have these questions. For the non-believer, it shows that we take this seriously. Uh, we take the question seriously. You know, the advertising, I think, is what brought us in here today, but, you know, the sermon is probably what will bring us back. It's what the world needs. It needs people to see that Christians aren't fighting, uh, that we're not against each other, that we're all working for the same God, that we're all working um, to tell people about Jesus and tell people about the gospel. I would say it is a must in every city. Uh, I can't imagine not doing a group effort... uh, like Explore God. So why are you here? Now, I don't mean in the room, but why are you taking up space on the planet? What is your purpose? This should not be a seven-week campaign. This should be part of our lives. Welcome to History. Hundreds of Central Texas churches are teaming up to get you to explore God. Explore God is open not only to all Christian denominations that wish to take part, but to people of other faiths and non-believers. What a great time in a really open city to be talking about such provocative topics. God doesn't fear our questions. He doesn't fear that we doubt. This is a big movement. It's not just a small thing. And a lot of people are thinking, hey, this is just my church doing it. But when they figure out this is Austin doing this, and I think it's bringing unity between not only churches but the community itself. You know, I, I think it was back in the winter that I saw that video for the first time. This pastor friend of mine said, hey, Jeff, you need to see what happened in Austin. And I watched it very moving. And then he said, there's some of us that think this should happen in Chicagoland. And I'm like, I'm all ears. Tell me more. And he clarified. He goes, just imagine if there were uh, hundreds of churches in Chicagoland that all did the same series at the same time. Seven-week series designed to tackle the questions people who are far from God are wrestling with. Quite honestly, questions Christians are wrestling with, too. And what if we were to tackle them all together. And I'm like, well, what are the seven questions? Well, here they are. Uh, Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? And can I know God personally? I'm like, yeah, I want to preach that. You know, one of the things I love about this approach is that every church, every pastor is able to bring their unique voice and culture and present the series in their way. So we're, we're not being asked not to be us, but we're all doing... The guy said, imagine everybody, you know, they're all over Chicago, and There are billboards and church signs and street signs and mailers going out to everybody. Imagine the buzz. Imagine the confusion, he said, as people are like, everywhere I look, I'm seeing this Explorer got Chicago. Which church is it? I'm, I'm really confused. And no, it's all these churches coming together. Wouldn't that create intrigue? And you know, I said, I'm in. We're in. I volunteered us. Hope you're okay with that. I said, count us in, count in our Bowling campus and our 95th Street campus and our Wheaton campus and our Hobson campus, the Compass Church is in. I didn't know at that time, are we like the only ones that are going to be in? We were one of the early adopters. Well, this group of early adopting churches started uh, inviting other pastors to come to informational meetings about Explore God Chicago to see if they might want to be on. And we're just praying, God, do a work. And friends, little by little, a couple more churches signed up. A couple more churches signed up. Presently, and we still have a long way to go before January, Presently, there are over 500 churches in Chicagoland that are doing Explore God Chicago. Uh, It it is really uh, catching momentum. There's now positive peer pressure for churches to say, Well, I don't want to miss out. You know, this is something special that's going on. And and I'm, I'm really excited to see what God's going to do. Now you say, why are you telling us so early? I mean, it's in January. Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is a great chance for you to invite folks. Don't invite them now. Let me clarify. Set it up so that when you invite them, as it gets closer to January, that, that invite is so natural. And by set up, I mean... Who comes to mind? What neighbors do you know? What friends do you have where you should be inviting them over for dinner and prioritizing the development of that friendship so that when invitation time comes and they're like, yeah, what is this, Explore God Chicago? I'm seeing it all over. Say, yeah, our church is doing it. Come, here are the seven questions. You'd be interested. They're going to say, you know what? I want to try that out. So be thinking, praying, building friendship now so that your invites work then. The other reason I'm telling you early is that there's a second component to this campaign. One is the seven-week sermon series. The other is small groups, seven weeks of small groups that we're calling them uh, discussion groups that run simultaneously with the campaign. You know, there are going to be a lot of people who not only want to hear preachers talk about these seven questions, but they'd love to ask their own question and dialogue with a group of people who are you know, courageously acknowledging their struggles and doubts. And friends, you might want to be an, a discussion group facilitator. It's, it's actually easier than you might think. Uh, the Explore Got Chicago people have made these videos to assist the facilitators. There's a short video that kind of gets the conversation started. There's like a little longer 10-minute video that brings some clarity and answers. And yes, you could be a facilitator. And we're going to have a lot of folks that come through our church wanting to be in a seven-week group. So consider whether that might be something God's calling you to. You can actually sign up to be a facilitator. We're going to have some training events to help you get ready for it. You can sign up on your connection card and say, yeah, I want to be a facilitator. You can go to Compass Central at 95th Street Campus or at Brook Wheaton, Hobson. And there's a sign up where you can sign up and say, I want to be a facilitator. Here, here's the big challenge. Some of you are like people, people, and like you really love Jesus, and you've got a vision for seeing people far from God come in. You know what the, the, the grand slam is? Host a discussion group of all people you invite. Say, hey, I think I have enough friends and neighbors that I know that I could invite and, and uh, populate my own discussion group. That would be extraordinary. But be praying, would you? Because this is a unique thing. I've never seen churches this unified and churches come together in the name of Christ to proclaim the gospel, the hope that Jesus offers. This is a strange, wonderfully delightful new thing. And God is up to some. So let's be praying that God would, in our great metropolitan city, do a new work of reaching a lot of people and uniting a lot of churches Would you be praying with me? God's already answering prayers, but there are still many more to be answered in this great initiative. Explore God's cow. You're gonna hear a lot more about it as the fall progresses, so get ready. All right, that was like the sermon before the sermon. Uh, Now here we go. uh, This message, as we continue this series, Thriving in Babylon, this particular message is about fire. Yes, fire can be a beautiful thing. You know, like candles. This candle is uh, pumpkin spice. You know, uh, yesterday was the first day of fall. Are you aware? Autumn has begun. My wife actually has a box of fall decor. She hasn't asked me or, or told me to uh, pull it out yet. But that'll be pulled up from the basement sometime soon as she decorates with a fall. I, I remember a fall decor candle a few years back. The Jen had pumpkin spice, and this one had fall leaves on the outside of it. They were slightly below the surface of the wax, but the wax was clear enough that you could see the fall leaves. It was quite delightful. Jen lit the candle, and this beautiful candle, and the fire, and the smell. I remember looking at the room just going, oh, I love Fall. Turned out to be not as good an idea as one might think. So here's what happened. As the candle melted down, eventually those leaves began to emerge, you know, from the wax. And I don't know if it was the heat, but they started curling in. Do you see it coming? Yeah. They curled in, and the leaves lit on fire. And the next thing, we were having massive candle meltdown all at once. We, no one was in the room when it was happening. But it was melting down, and Jen had put it under a lampshade that caught on fire. And so I had just been in the room moments before where I'm like, oh, I love fall. And I come back, "Ah!" you know, the whole thing is up in flames and I am freaking out and get wet towels I'm throwing and stomping. and It was a disaster. Friends, uh, fire can be a disaster. And it's that disaster imagery that we want to talk about today. We want to use fire to remind us that sometimes we go through tremendously difficult seasons. In fact, Scripture uses fire to describe hardship. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 43.2, God says, sometimes you're going to have to go through the fire using it as a hardship. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you have to go through, as if you're going through something unusual, he says. Fiery ordeal. Fire symbolizes hardship and difficulty in a season of problems. And friends, uh, that's a big deal. We will go through hardship. The question I have for you is, are you prepared? Do you know how to survive the fire? I have a brother, my youngest brother, who's a fireman. This is my brother, Mark. He is a fireman out in Sacramento where he fights forest fires and building fires. And he has been trained how to live through fire. He knows what equipment is necessary. He knows what approach to get down low and where to go and what not to do. He knows how to survive fire. Do you? You better know or it'll kill you. And so we're going to learn together how to survive times of fire. And we're going to learn because when you're in Babylon, the city's on fire. You know what I mean by that? Babylon in this series is a literal city a godless city where these godly young men have been dragged away as prisoners of war and they're having to live in a city that's uh, antagonistic towards their spiritual commitment we live in a, in, a, in a culture that's increasingly antagonistic to our christian commitment And that's hard. And sometimes the hardship we endure is because of our Christian commitment. Such was the case with Daniel's friends, as we're about to see. The hardship they endured was because of their antagonistic to their faith culture. Are you ready? This is a fun series. Uh, We are going through six chapters of Daniel. Six-week series, one week for each chapter. Third week, third chapter. We are in Daniel 3, which if you're inclined to uh, read along in the chairbacks at all of our campuses in that Bible, you'll find that on page 884. 884. I'm starting in Daniel 3, verse 20. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, remember him, he's the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are Daniel's friends, and throw them into the blazing furnace. Blazing furnace. Back in those days in Babylon, they had massive furnaces. They were made as a kiln to fire bricks. Archaeologists have dug up ancient Babylon and were shocked to find the whole city was made of fired bricks. And they speculate that the the furnaces must have been huge. They, they called them B.I. furnaces because they look like a B.I. Round, massive rooms that they would wheel carts of bricks in. And, and sure enough, these three guys were thrown into this massive fiery furnace. Why? Do you know why? Some of you are like, I know why. This, this is admittedly one of the most popular stories in the whole Bible. I, I had a woman last night... Uh, come up to me and she said, I guess I never realized that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had application to big people too. <laughs> she was so used to hearing in the kids, you know, learning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. She's like, you know, I guess there's app- yeah, there's application for adults as well. What is it? Well, let's find out. So here's why they're in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar came up with an idea to unify his vastly diverse empire. He had all these conquered nations, each of them had their own local religions. He found out that they were really into idols. All these little nations were worshipping local deities in the form of idols. And Nebuchadnezzar was, so what if we had one national religion? What if I build the idol of all idols, the most incredible idol that will so embarrass their local idols that they'll forget about those to worship this? And so he built a statue that was 90 feet tall, covered in gold. And he called representatives from all the conquered nations to the grand opening celebration of this new idol. And he had them all there and he said, when the music plays, every one of you bow and worship as Babylonians together, this Babylonian god. And they were like, "Uh, and if we don't? Oh, and he says, thanks for asking. Uh, If you don't, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Interestingly enough, archaeologists have also discovered ancient uh, records indicating that one of the ways they executed people back then is using the brick kilns to throw them in. So this is historically documented. And the people all were like, got it. And so when the music played at the grand opening, you can imagine just thousands and thousands, a sea of humanity bowing to their ground in worship. And there were three guys who stood Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These Jews, young men who have been brought, and they worship the one true God, and they will worship no other, no matter what the threat. And the guards came and grabbed them and said, Get down! And they said, No, ain't going happen. And they said, Then come with me. And they were dragged away. And Nebuchadnezzar had liked these guys. We had learned in the previous two chapters that he had promoted them to high ranks in his office. But now, he says, You guys are defying my authority. You must die. And so they had been thrown into the fire, quite literally. Verse 22. The furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, were there there not three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? He's, he's you know, questioning his own capacity to remember because he's confused with what he sees. They replied, certainly, your majesty. Verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar said, well, then look, because I see four men walking around in the fire. They're unbound, they're unarmed. And the fourth, he looks like a son of the gods. This description Nebuchadnezzar gives in this verse of this extraordinary miracle is absolutely precious. He observes details that he records for us here, and every detail matters. God wanted it this way. God wanted it recorded this way. I'll tell you why. Because this miracle wasn't just for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This miracle was for you, and for me, and for each of us, to give us a vision of what it can be like when we pass through the fire. You know, you need hope. You need A a belief that it doesn't have to be the end, that though the fire may come, that there can be great life, that I can thrive in Babylon. And this picture is what God wants to do in your life when you go through the fire. And so let's do this. Let's spend some time working through this particular verse, and we're going to go through, well, phrase by phrase, word by word. I'll start with highlighting this in the fire. And you may say, that's kind of an obvious thing and a strange thing to highlight, Jeff. Here's the point I want to make. God is saving the day. He is delivering them in the fire, not from the fire. You know, the prayers that we often make is, deliver me from the fire, God. We're like, Lord, I don't want to go through hardship. God, please make my life easy and smooth and problem-free. Don't you pray? Maybe not that obvious, but that's your heart cry. And it's not bad to pray that way. You just need to know that often in the biblical example, God's people are not spared hardship. Though it's our desire to never have to go through the fire, the reality in a broken, sinful world is that God says, listen, believers and non-believers alike are going to have to pass through the fire. It's part of life on planet Earth until we get to heaven where the problems are removed. And so, friends, the question is not if, the question is when. And then the next question is are you ready? Yeah, how do I get ready? Well, let's take a look at what we need to be looking to experience. I want to highlight. I see four men. You remember the problem? He says, we threw in three. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was good at math. We threw in three, and there's now four. Somehow, a fourth, you know, got in there. And I don't know how he did. And that fourth was different. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. I wish Nebuchadnezzar had described even more uh, of what that fourth was looked like. But he didn't. He tells us this much, and so let's let's try to understand his description. For one, he describes him as a man. In some ways, he just looks like a fourth man. But in other ways, he looks like a god, a son of the gods. There was something divine about him. We're guessing at this point, maybe he glowed. Maybe he had a look on his face, a majesty about him. But it was obvious that he was unique, extraordinarily unique. Who do you think it was? You know, everyone's like, Jesus! You're right. So theologians talk about this. Most would say this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Now, there are some scholars that would say, no, I think it's The angel of the Lord. So when God manifested himself in the Old Testament, when he appeared physically, often the appearance was described as the angel of the Lord. And some view that as God the Father. And so they would say, this is the angel of the Lord, God the Father. Ultimately, the debate doesn't matter. The point is that the Lord, whether the first person or the second person, or the third for that matter, is showing up in the fire. God's in the fire. And friends, that's what we need We need, uh, actually, when I say the statement, God shows up in the fire, that, that technically is a meaningless statement. Here's what I mean by that. God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. So for God to be in the fire is like, well, of course, he's everywhere. What's amazing is not that God is there. What's amazing is that he's revealing that he's there. That's a manifestation. The word manifestation means God choosing to reveal his presence to humanity. And that's what's shocking, is that God is showing himself to be present in this dramatic expression. And you know what we need when we go through the fire? We need a manifestation. If you're going to pray for something, rather than praying, God, spare me from all the fires which ain't going to happen. Rather, the better prayer is, Lord, when I go through the fire, give me a manifestation. I need you to show yourself to me. And now you say, are you telling me I'm going to see a fourth guy looking like the Son of the God standing next to me visibly? Probably not. This type of manifestation is exceedingly rare. But the Bible is clear, and so many of us could attest from our own experience that God shows up, that God reveals Himself to us. So many of us have stories of times where we knew that God was near. We felt Him. We had a sense of God being right by our side. Maybe we felt the warmth of His love for us. It brought us to tears. Maybe we heard His voice, and, and not an audible voice, but so many of us have we recognize thoughts that come to mind that. Un- undoubtedly have been placed there by God. He's speaking to us. Friends, those moments when you're like, oh my, God is showing himself to me right now. Those are precious and sacred and that's what's needed when you're going through the fire. So pray like crazy. Lord, give me a manifestation of you. Somehow, any way you want, show me you're here. Okay, now let's move to the next. Look at this, walking around. Nebuchadnezzar cannot believe what he's seeing, but yes, they are taking a stroll. He's like, what's going on? He's like, the, the four of them, this shining one and the other three are just kind of walking. If, if this furnace was a big circle, maybe walking along the perimeter. Friends, that is a picture of friendship, of companionship of connection. One of the greatest expressions of relational tightness is taking a walk with someone. If you say to someone, hey, let's go take a walk. Whose idea was it to go take a walk here? I don't think it was the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think they were like, you know, they they didn't know what was going on. I think it was the Lord who said, hey guys, come on, let's enjoy this. Let's take a walk. Uh, Friends, I, I my wife and I take walks these days more often than we ever have in our neighborhood after dinner. We've, I'm sorry for all of you who have younger kids, but we are to that glorious age where we just say, bye-bye, you know, we get done with dinner and we're like, just don't tear down the house, okay? We'll be back in half an hour and we leave and Jen and I hand in hand walk and talk and it's an expression of deep connection and that's what happens or can happen in the fire. These guys are enjoying a relational connection with their Lord beyond anything they have ever touched before in their lives. What did they talk about? Did they laugh? Did they ask questions? Did they get answers? What a glorious connection. And here's something you may not have thought about. It's so interesting, but hardship, trials, fires, provide us an unprecedented opportunity to deepen our friendship with God beyond what it's ever been before. Because God will afford that. That's why it's an opportunity. God has promised. In fact, here's another promise. This is in, uh, I love giving this verse to people who are going through hardship. I give them, hey, remember, Psalm 34. I always think Walter Payton, 34. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. What does that mean? That he is geographically close? No, it's not geographic proximity. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. The closeness is relational closeness. God says, I promise, I will be especially close relationally to the brokenhearted, to those who are going through great hardship. And that's what he's doing here. These guys are going through immense hardship and he's walking around with them. I'll tell you what you need, what I need, when we go through the fire. We need a manifestation, but more than that, we need to enjoy the companionship of God. To sense that he's accompanying us, that he's speaking to us, that he's loving on us. We need one of those moments where we sense his face beaming in delight with us. Because when you enjoy the love of God like that, you're like, you know what? Give me the fire. I can handle it. If he does it with me with this kind of love, it's all good. It's all good. Wow. Here's another thing I want to talk about, and that's unharmed. Nebuchadnezzar, as he looks in, sees these guys walking together, talking, laughing. He's like, their hair is not on fire. You know, you expect when people are in the flames. You know, I mean, my... Hair and my fingers are singed just from lighting a candle, for crying out loud. And the passage goes on to say that when these guys came out of the furnace, their hair was unsinged. Their clothes didn't even smell of smoke. They were so unharmed, it was like there was some protection, some bulletproof vest around them that kept the flames from having the normal destructive effect that those flames normally have. Uh, you know, when I say bulletproof vest, it makes me think of my wallet. I have a ballistic nylon wallet, and uh, it's made of bulletproof vest material. And uh, it's kind of nice. You know, if I happen to get shot right here, I will be surprisingly okay. You know. But you've seen people in movies with bulletproof vests, right? They they get shot, they fall to the ground, they're laying there. You think they're dead, but then all of a sudden they start to move, and they open up their shirt. And the the metal crushed bullet kind of falls to the ground and they get up and they're like, oh, that hurt, but I'm okay. That's Christians. That's God's vision. That the that the hardships that take out normal people do not, by His protection, have the same effect on us. We go through it, and people are like, How are you still standing? How are you smiling? How are you not devastated? You're like, well, I'm grieving. Yeah, but not like most. Friends, that is the miraculous work God wants to do in saying, yes, it's going to be hard and you're going to grieve, but it's not going to crush you because I will be there to give you a supernatural strength to endure the flames. Here's another Uh, unbound they're, they're, that's profound. That simple word. There, there's a story there because we know they were bound, right? Remember, the passage says they fell into the flames, which seems to imply that their legs were bound to where they couldn't walk. And so they're laying on the ground, arms, legs bound, you know, and they're kicking around like this, going, What in the world is going on? And how did they get unbound? Do you think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like Houdini? You know, they're like, Watch this. You know, no. Jesus unbound them. The Lord came to them, seeing them kicking around, and he says, this will not do. And he bent down, and he says, guys, I'll get that. And he untied the ropes, and he pulled them out, and then Jesus helped them up. Friends, the heart of the Lord is seen in that uh, unbinding. The Lord loves us, and though he says you're going to have to go through the fire, being a wreck, being trapped, being uh, kept from fully living is not his desire. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that wasn't promised only to those who are in circumstances of ease. That was promised to everybody. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have freedom to live in him, that fullness of life. And so God lifts us up, even when we're in the darkest hour, and says, hey, the fire's not over yet, but get on your feet. Let's live this life. Uh, And there's a strange dynamic that occurs in Christians, where again, we grieve, but not as those without hope. And as we grieve, we also dance, and sing, and laugh, and live even in the fire, a life given to us by the freedom Christ provides. Friends, that's the vision. And uh, I I experienced this uh, back when I was, um, well, I'm going a long way back. Would you allow me? I'm going to go back to when I was 21 years old. This is the first time I experienced this, the fire and the meeting God in the fire and the life that, can be had even in the darkest hour. The situation was, I was a senior in college. I had been dating my wife for six years. I was ready to marry her. She was the love of my life. And as a graduate of college, this was the ideal time. And right then, boom, she dumped me. I didn't see it coming. She broke up. She tried to be sensitive, but it just absolutely devastated me. I was a mess. Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you what a mess I was, like sobbing, snot-sobbing, like I'm my life is over, kind of a mess. It was on a Wednesday afternoon that she broke up with me, and that night, every Wednesday night, the church I was going to had a Wednesday night service, and I remember thinking, I need to be at church. And I went, I was living in a house that we were renting with a bunch of friends. And I went to each one of them and I said, Hey, uh, there's a worship service tonight at church, and I could really use you to be with me. Why? Jen broke up with me. And they're like, Really? And they're like, I remember them saying, You don't look good. I'm like, I'm not. And every one of them to a friend said, tonight, oh, I wish I could, Jeff, I really do, but I got to study or I got this or that. And every one of me, left me high, everyone left me high and dry. And it just added to my sense of rejection. And I was such a mess. As I drove to church by myself that night, I was crying so hard, I had to pull over on the side of the road because I couldn't see. I mean, how pathetic, huh? And I got to church eventually, I sat in the very back, all right, and the worship music and song was going forward, and I wasn't listening to anything. I was just screaming in my heart out to God, God, I've lost her. She was my life, and she's gone. How can this possibly be? And in this ache, God manifested himself. This happened. I mean, I was in the fire. Now, boy, was I making a right choice. I was seeking him, going to church in my pain, was saying, Lord, I need you. I need you to manifest. That's why I was there. And sure enough, God showed up with greater clarity than he ever had before in my life. You say, what do you mean he showed up? I didn't see anything visibly. But I had this overwhelming sensation that God is right here with me. And then came his love. I knew God loved me. I mean, I had heard that a thousand times, but it had always been a promise and never an experience. But on that particular evening, God's beaming delight with me, Jeff, was so apparent. I'm like, really? And it just started like flooding on me. His love was like water to a thirsty man. And I'm just like, you're kidding me. And I just basked in this embrace, this delight God had in me. And then added to the manifestation, and then the love, came the voice. And you're like, oh boy. Now, I didn't hear anything audibly, but I'm telling you, he spoke to my heart, and it was a very simple message. God said, I will never leave you. And in that moment, it became apparent to me that he was the only one that could say that. Everybody else, either with loved ones dying or desertion, like I was experiencing in mass at that moment, uh, everyone could leave me. But God said, I and I alone will never leave you. And in that moment, this thought, and in fact, I, I said it to him, if that's true, if this love is promised for me every day of my life, that if, if I can know you'll be here and you love me like this, I'm gonna be all right. I'm good. Friends, that night was the wildest night. I walked out of the church. I remember looking back going, what just happened? Kind of like these guys staggering out of that fiery furnace going, oh my. Friends, that's the glory of God's vision for what he wants to happen in your life when you go through the fire. I know some of you are say, when? I'm going through it now. I'm dying. Well, there's hope. God is saying, let's connect. As I connected with these three guys, his love and presence will change everything. And I'd like to pray for you right now. So let's bow our heads. And we, we got a lot of friends at all four of our campuses that are in the fire now. And so let's cry out to the Lord on behalf of those hurting friends. Lord, you see, you see what they're going through. Thank you for bringing them here this morning. You led them, you brought them, you led us to this passage because you want to connect with them in a life-transforming way. So do it, God! We cry out for a manifestation in the way you see. Reveal that you are near. We cry out for your love, God. Show them that you cherish them. They don't deserve it. You adore them. And speak to them, God. Speak of your enduring promises. God, I pray that you'd help them up off the ground, that they would be unbound and increasingly unharmed and that you would help them thrive even in the fires of Babylon. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.